0: Good morning. Um, Please join me. We're going to read from the book of John today, uh, chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 1 through to verse 44. And if you're reading from your pew Bibles, that is on page 897. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus the Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he had meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And, as, and, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb four, day, four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed he would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Melody. Some of you might be wondering or thinking to yourself, well, that text doesn't sound very Christmassy. And the truth is, it's not very Christmassy. But, as John mentioned, as we celebrate Advent, we celebrate the coming of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is with us. And today, we get to look at how Jesus is with us in our sorrow and our suffering. Before we start, I do have bad news and I have good news. Good news. The bad news is I still have a lingering cough and congestion, so my voice is weak. Um, So it's the bad news uh, for me and for you probably, especially if I start coughing. The good news is I'm going to do my best to keep this sermon short. Um, And so um, now that I've said that, uh, now you really can hold me accountable, so um, I will do my best to do that. Uh, Well, last week, Kelsey and I went to Buffalo, New York for Thanksgiving. Um, And when we go to my parents' house in Buffalo, New York, um, usually it's a pretty full house. The problem with that is it's a very small house. So there's three bedrooms, there's a basement, there's a little landing in between the living room and the basement. Um, And for those of you that don't know, Kelsey and I have one child, his name is Eli. So when we go visit my parents, Eli sleeps in this extra room, which is basically one small staircase away from the living room. Well, on Thanksgiving Day, we had dinner uh, around 3 or 4 p.m., one of those weird times um, that we do on holidays. And when we got home from Thanksgiving dinner, Kelsey and I realized after we put Eli down to sleep that he actually hadn't eaten that much for Thanksgiving dinner. And we thought to ourselves, ooh, hopefully he doesn't wake up hungry in the middle of the night. Well, he's asleep, we'll say, well, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Sure enough, about 10.30, I think it was, Eli starts crying in the basement. And I think we let him cry for probably about 15 to 20 minutes. And then Kels said, we should probably give him some food. He might be hungry. And I said, we probably should. So I go get Eli, put him in the high chair, give him some fruit. And sure enough, he gobbles that fruit up. So after a few minutes, um, I give him his milk, put him back down to bed. But we know that there's no way he's going to want to go back down to bed now that he's been hanging out with dad. So he starts crying. And as he cries, now that he is a little bit smarter, he can say more words. Through his cries, you hear this, "Dada, mom, dad, dad. And as the cries get louder, his dad, dad, mom, get louder and louder. Of course, We know that he needs to sleep, and so we let him cry until he sleeps. But I have a question for you. Do you ever feel like Eli? Do you ever feel like you are calling out to God in your sorrow and he doesn't come? Perhaps for some of you, it's calling out the Lord to heal your mother or your father because of the illness that they have and he doesn't heal. Perhaps you're calling out to the Lord because you want him to bring you a spouse and it seems like he's not listening to you. Perhaps you're calling out to the Lord because you desperately want a child and he doesn't hear you. Maybe you need money to help make ends meet and it seems like the Lord is not there. Or maybe you're calling out in the midst of relational tension with a spouse, with a brother, a sister, a family member, a friend, and it seems like he just simply won't come to you in your time of need. Whatever it might be, you feel the immense weight and pain of your suffering and call out to the Lord for healing, and you hear nothing. See, we have to recognize that one of the most difficult parts of suffering is that we send for Jesus and sometimes it seems like he doesn't come. He doesn't heal, he doesn't fix, he doesn't make it better. And C.S. Lewis kind of summed up what can be sometimes dangerous for our souls in times like this. He says this about um, after he had lost his wife. He says, not that I am, I think in much danger of ceasing to believe in God, the real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about Him. The conclusion I dread is not so there's no God after all, but so this is what God is really like. I imagine some of the people here in this room have felt that way. And some of the people in our text here in John 11 have felt that way. We see in John 11, Lazarus, a dear friend of Jesus, becomes ill. His sisters, Mary and Martha, send for Jesus, knowing that he has healing power. They've seen it at work time and time again. But notice what happens in verse 6. So, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Mary and Martha send for Jesus, but he doesn't come. What are we to make of this? Well, here's the main point I want to communicate to you today. <clears throat> Although Jesus may seem absent, he is lovingly per- purposeful and powerfully present. In our sorrow. Although Jesus may seem absent, he is lovingly purposeful and powerfully present in our sorrow. Those are the two main points that I want to briefly distill for us today to encourage us in our time of pain and sorrow. So let's look at how Jesus is lovingly purposeful in our sorrow. Now, why do I say lovingly? Well, notice verse 5 in John chapter 11. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We see that Jesus dearly loved these people. They were dear friends to him. He had much affection. And it was that love that motivated his waiting to come to them. Do you see that? He loved them so When he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. It was his love for them that motivated his remaining there. And it was his love for them that was intent on accomplishing his purpose in their sorrow. But we have to ask the question, what was his purpose? What did Jesus have in mind in waiting there while Lazarus was ill? Well, let's look at verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, speaking to the disciples, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. See, on a corporate level, Jesus' goal is the belief of all of those who would observe what he would do once he arrived in Bethany to see Mary, Martha, and ultimately Lazarus. But Jesus gets even more specific with Martha, And we see that beginning in verses 21 through 22. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I think we see a few different things from Martha here. I think one, we see her grief. She recognizes that if Jesus had been here, She may not be grieving the way she is now because her brother is gone. She expresses her grief, but she also recognizes who Jesus is and the power that he has. She recognizes that had Jesus been there, he certainly would have had the power to rescue Lazarus from his illness. But let's see how Jesus responds. So Martha has this, she has a degree of faith in the Lord. And Jesus responds somewhat ambiguously. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Jesus is simply stating something that is not clear yet for us, but he is assuring her that her brother will rise again. And Martha, being a knowledgeable Jew, she understands what Jesus is saying to a degree. Look at her response in verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, it was a common Jewish belief that at the last day, the dead would rise. And even in Jesus' teaching up until this point, he taught that on the last day, the dead would rise again. But there's something missing from Martha's belief here. She doesn't quite yet have the full picture and Jesus begins to open her eyes in verses 25 and 26. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Here's what Jesus is saying. Yes, the dead will rise on the last day. You're right about that, Martha but I will be the one who will raise them. Jesus is saying, I don't just have the power to resurrect. The resurrection doesn't exist without me. Jesus is saying, all of life would cease to exist if it were not for me. He's saying that I am Lazarus' only hope. Martha, I am your only hope. I am Mary's only hope, and I'm the only hope for every person that has ever lived and every person that ever will live. Jesus is saying that although Martha desperately wants Lazarus back from the dead, her greatest need is not Lazarus, but it's Jesus. He is the resurrection. He is her life, and he is her greatest need. And he asked her, do you believe this? And look at Martha's response in verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. See, Martha gets it. If we were to fast forward to the end of the book of John, John would say that he wrote this whole book so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the Son of God. Martha understands who Jesus is, and she declares that with her response here in verse 27. Uh, One one author that's been very helpful to me in looking at this text is Rebecca McLaughlin. She wrote a book called Confronting Christianity, and she writes about this chapter in in, uh, one of her chapters in the book about suffering, and she says this about Martha. Martha. The space between Lazarus' death and Jesus calling him out of the tomb is the space in which Martha sees Jesus for who he really is, her very life. See, often in our sorrow, we grieve something missing in our life. We grieve the one that we love that's no longer with us. We grieve the peace. In a relationship that no longer exists, we grieve the good health that we used to have that the Lord has taken away. But in all of this, Jesus is reminding us that we will not find fullness of life in anything or anyone other than Christ Himself. He's calling us to believe so that even our greatest enemy, death, will not have the last word over us on the last day. For those of you that perhaps are curious about Christianity, but have never believed in Christ, it is so important to recognize that the Lord's purpose in our sorrow and in our suffering is to draw us to him to repentance and in belief that He alone is our only hope, both in life and in death. So if you're here this morning and you have never repented of your sin, you've never turned away from your sin, I would encourage you to turn away and believe in Christ, who alone can give you eternal life. And for those of us who are here this morning that do trust in Christ, Jesus is inviting us to be like Martha, to see who He is, and respond with "Yes, Lord, I continue to believe in who You are, and I know that You are my only hope." But here's the question: some of you might have, um, you might you might be uh, struggling with this in your heart and in your head right now. <clears throat> you might say, "I understand that Jesus may have a purpose in my sorrow. That's all well and good, but that doesn't necessarily make me feel better." in the moment how do i find comfort in the here and now when i'm wrestling with pain and sorrow see the last thing i want to do this morning is to communicate that jesus has a purpose for your suffering and you just have to deal with it that is not at all what i want to communicate and it's not at all what jesus has to communicate to us this morning see i know that there are immense Pain and sorrows that some of you are burdened with. And I want you to know that while Jesus does have a loving purpose, he's also powerfully present. He is with you in your sorrow. So our second point, Jesus is powerfully present in your sorrow. Look at verses 32 and 33. Verse 32, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. See, notice how Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, and greatly troubled. And we have to ask the question, what does it mean for Jesus to be deeply moved? Well, the word used here in the original language is used in a few other places in Scripture, and it carries less of a a sad meaning and more of an angry meaning. We might say that Jesus was outraged in his spirit. If you're using the ESV, there's probably a little footnote there that says he was indignant. There was something that angered him about the situation at hand. But what was it? What was Jesus outraged by in this moment? Well, I think there are probably a few reasons, a few things that contribute to his emotional response. There's one that I want to specifically focus on, and it's this. Jesus was outraged by the effects that sin has on the world he created. See, we're told in the scriptures that it's through sin that death entered the world. See, death is the disease that we are all infected with, and it will catch up with every single one of us at some point down the road. But death is not the only result. Yes, death is the culmination of the effects of sin, but every ounce of sorrow we experience on this earth is a result of that sin. Every sore back, every headache, every cough and day of congestion, every day of depression, every relational conflict, every ounce of pain and sorrow we experience is a result of sin. And one of the responses that we often have in our grief is anger. And some of us might struggle with that. I know for me, sometimes when I am sorrowful, I do feel anger welling up inside of me. And it's easy for us to sometimes feel guilty for the anger that we feel. And we must recognize that uh, we should not be naive to think that all of our emotional responses are always 100% purely righteous. But I do think when we are in times of sorrow, when we have been sinned against, there are times when anger is the appropriate response because Jesus' response to sin is anger. Jesus draws near to us in our anger because he himself is angered by sin and the effects it has on his people. Jesus is present in our sorrow because he is outraged by the effects that sin have on us. But it's not the only way that he's present. The narrative continues, look at verse 34 and 35. And he, and he said, "Where have you laid him?" talking about Lazarus. They said to him, "Lord, come and see." Jesus wept. See, Jesus is present because he weeps with us in our sorrow. Jesus does not approach Mary and Martha at a distance. He doesn't come as one who is unaffected by their sorrow. He meets them in their grief and is moved by their grief to the point of weeping. See, Jesus is not the Savior who disconnects himself from our pain and our suffering and our sorrow. He came to not only rescue us from all of our sorrow, but he came to be with us, to be present with us in our suffering and in our sorrow. Isaiah 53 says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Rebecca McLaughlin goes on to say this in a lengthy quote In this prophecy from Isaiah 53, grief, suffering, and sickness are rolled up together with sin and guilt and loaded onto the Messiah's back. And when Jesus comes, he carries that load. He bears the moral weight of guilt and sin in our place, but he also bears the heartbreak of our suffering. Jesus holds us close as we lament. He weeps with us as we weep. He knows the end of the story when he will wipe every tear from our eyes. But this does not stop him from cleaving to us in our pain. In fact, pain is a special place of intimacy with him. We see this in our own lives. We can laugh with anyone, but we cry with those closest to us. And the bond is strongest when the suffering connects with ours. In Jesus, we find the one person who knows all our heartache and all our pain left by those closest to him, beaten by strangers, stripped and abused and hung on a cross to die. There is no wound of ours he cannot touch. Jesus knows his resurrection is coming, and yet he cries out in his distress. Jesus knows the end of Mary and Martha and Lazarus' story, and yet he weeps. Beloved, Jesus is with you in your sorrow. I may not know what you're going through, but the Lord certainly does. Jesus is with you and he weeps with you in your sorrow. But it's important to remember that Jesus is not merely present. He is powerfully present in our sorrow. And we see that at the conclusion of this narrative with Jesus and Lazarus, starting in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. I love the King James. I think it says, he stinketh. Uh, uh, there will be an odor, for he has for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, Jesus is powerfully present because he has defeated our greatest enemy, which is death. Raising Lazarus is a mere taste of what he would do not long after in his own resurrection, and it's a mere taste of what he will do in the lives of each and every one of us as we look ahead to the day when we will rise to live with him forever. As Jesus defeated our greatest enemy, death, he defeated every single enemy that we might face in this life. We have hope in the face of every single circumstance of sorrow we might experience because Jesus has defeated death and therefore has defeated every single enemy we may encounter in this life. Jesus is not a savior who only comforts us. He is the Savior who has won the battle. So what does that mean for us in our suffering? Well, it reminds me of my son calling out to me. Why does Eli call out, Dada, Mom? Because he knows that I have never abandoned him in his sorrow. Yes, there may come a time where he needs to cry it out, where for his good I will let him go through a sorrowful experience so that he might fall asleep. But when that morning comes, I will always come and get my boy. And Jesus is saying to us that we must not stop calling out to him because he will not leave us in our sorrow. He will come and he is with us in our sorrow and our pain. Kate's going to come now and lead us in a prayer of application.
2: Let's go to the throne together. Our Father, who is in heaven, we approach you with boldness, with confidence that you hear us with assurance that you are with us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for coming in the form of a baby, for taking on our flesh, becoming like us in all ways, except without sin. And we thank you, Lord, just for how we have seen your your gentleness, your tenderness, that even though you knew the end, Uh, even that you were going to raise Lazarus in moments, you wept. You are not harsh with us. You didn't tell Mary and Martha and um, the ones around to stop crying, you're going to fix it. You are so tender with us, and I just want to praise you for that, and thank you, because we do suffer, and we do struggle, and we do think that you are not with us. And we do struggle to know that you're near. Um, but we are your little children, and we are completely dependent on you. And you are a big and mighty God, so we can ask you big things. And so we ask you for a belief that we would know that you're good when things feel really bad, that we would not doubt your love for us, your care, your tenderness that you weep with us, in all of our hard things, and that you've not, you have not—you don't just weep, but you've done something about it. We have the hope of resurrection with you. You will give us new life you have, and you will bring it to completion. I just pray that you would help us to believe it, and to believe it boldly and with confidence that gives us peace and assurance. In your holy name we pray. Amen.